Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seven Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've known for a very long time, a very dear friend. He's been on the podcast before last season. We went to CUA together. He's a music minister, a worship leader, and the host of his very own podcast through Awaken Catholic called Pop Culture Catechism. It's Mike Tenney. Welcome back, Mike. Thank you for having me again, Julie. It's great to be here. I love your show. Oh, and I love you. Thank you for being here. I love your show too. Yeah. So it's, uh, we did, what did we do last time? We did Sirach chapter two. Is that mm-hmm. what we did? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was that was that was a verse that was very close to my heart in college, kind of as I was hitting my quarter life crisis. And uh, <laughs> th- this this verse is one that has stuck with me a little bit more as an adult, somebody working in ministry, somebody trying to live out my vocation and be faithful to it. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to get into it today. And it's also really nice to be the guest because I don't often get to be the guest. I often am I the host and I have to do all the details. And you were, you were very gracious. I was a little bit late today and I felt so bad because I know what that's like, but uh, you you put it all together and uh, you're, you're good at this. So I, I'm happy to be here uh, being co-pilot today. Oh, likewise, friend. I I love it. It's it's obviously much easier when you have someone who knows the drill and we're friends and and we've got this. We this is what we do, right? Um, so I'm excited mm-hmm. to. Um, we did Old Testament, like you said last season. So I'm excited to dive into. We've gotten a lot of Corinthians recently, so it must be something oh, yeah. in the water. So I'm excited to hear why you chose this. But is there anything else you'd like to tell us about yourself? I mean, I know all about you, but um, what would you like to share with the listeners? Yeah, so I went, I'm from Washington, D.C., well, Maryland, but the Washington, D.C. area, and I went to Catholic U where I met lots of lovely people like you (laughs) and found just a really vibrant faith community. I think a lot of us there kind of had the experience of in high school, we were like the church kid or one of a few church kids, and then we went to CUA and it's like, (laughs) whoa, we're not the weird one anymore. There's so many of us here, and it was just like a vibrant community where it just we really grew and and learned from each other, um, and, you know, in a, in a little bit of a bubble with the the pros and cons that comes with that. But I just mm-hmm. I just feel like I was so well formed there, and so many of those friendships have endured. And it's yeah, it's just a, a, a I, I I can't imagine my life without that experience. And after that, I did a year of volunteer work with uh, the Capuchin Franciscans in New York. It was through CapCorps was the name of that program at uh, Capuchin Youth and Family Ministries in the Lower Hudson Valley. And then I I taught Catholic high school theology for 14 years at St. Vincent Pallotti High School in Laurel, Maryland, and also was trying to make it as a rock star at night with our good friend, Laura, and uh, a few mm-hmm. other friends who, who were in the band. And you went to many of those shows and you were a big supporter of ours. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> And then I was doing uh, worship leading often with you at lots of different events and and speaking Mm -hmm. and giving talks at different youth events. And at the same time that the band was kind of just kind of moving on, going different directions, was like a big ugly breakup or anything. We're all still friends. But uh, Mm -hmm. we we were not playing with the band so much. I was getting more and more invitations to come speak and uh, come lead worship. And so I started Mike Tenney Music Ministry and it has really taken off over the past few years until uh, I was discerning in 2019 as my wife was working on on her degree, um, what would happen if I was a stay-at-home dad and stayed home with the kids. And she, uh, you know, her career is a little more lucrative and was able to better support the family financially. Um, 
and I think my classroom skills have kind of uniquely equipped me for kind of running running a household, and I, I think that's kind of cool. And it also kind of frees me up to do stuff like this and run my own show and keep doing music and and uh, and, and speaking. And so that's what I'm doing. I mean, really, I'm a stay at home dad is my quote unquote full time gig. But then, other than that, I'm traveling, speaking doing lots of online stuff, uh, running my show, Pop Culture Catechism, which you were on. You came on and we talked about mm-hmm. Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement, which was uh, one of my favorite episodes. I just, I don't know if it's just because you're one of I my I mean, I'm biased, but I mean, friends, no, but. but <laughs> I think we talked about some great stuff on there, so. Yeah. No, I mean, it's such mm-hmm. a cool show. It's it's such a cool concept. But again, I am biased because I think you and I are so similar. We sh- we've done similar kind of, we have backgrounds in ministry, youth ministry, we've taught. And, but we also love pop culture and we love music and we love just being in the world, but not necessarily totally of it. And and this passage that you've picked for us today, you see my little yeah, funny, funny you should mention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a great segue. Excellent. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. I feel like that's something we have in common and it's something that, you know, that's what Paul is dealing with today. So um, we were joking because you did come on last season. We talked about a, a chapter from Sirach and now we're doing another chapter um, from Paul's first letter to Corinthians. And like I mentioned, I've had a lot of guests pick either first or second Corinthians. So I'm curious to see maybe we can unpack maybe why that is. But um, first, I'll have you read it so you can start from wherever you'd like. And All right. You. So this is First Corinthians chapter two. I'm not even sure what translation this is, but uh, I think it's new. Amer- <laughs> I think it's New American Bible. That tends to be what I. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this yeah. is New American Bible. So it says, "When I came to you, brothers, proclaiming the mystery of God, I did not come with sublimity of words or of wisdom, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my message and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of spirit." And power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak a wisdom to those who are mature, but not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Rather, we speak of God's wisdom, mysterious, hidden, which God predetermined before the ages for our glory, and which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard and what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. This God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depths of God among human beings who knows what pertains to a person except the spirit of the person that is writ within. Similarly, no one knows what pertains to God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God so that we may understand the things freely given by God. And we speak about them, not with words taught by human wisdom, but with words taught by the Holy Spirit, describing spiritual realities in spiritual terms. Now, the natural person does not accept what pertains to the spirit of God, for to him it is foolishness, and he cannot understand it because it is judged spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can judge everything, but is not subject to judgment by anyone. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to counsel him? But we have the mind Christ. Okay. So there's so much here and I don't even kind of know where to start. (laughs) I know. So I don't even know where I'm going to give a very general kind of like background here and then we're just going to dive right in because I feel like there's a lot to tackle. So like I've mentioned- I I have have like three main places that I want to focus in, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean- like I said, I've, I've talked, I feel like, a lot about um, Corinthians on here. It's a community that was very dear to Paul's heart. Um, there was division going on in the community. So a lot of the first letter is 
Um, I've talked a lot from chapter 12, where it talks a lot about unity and people's gifts, and he's really trying to encourage them to not be divided, but to recognize people's contributions. And so I've spent a lot of time kind of looking at that particular passage, but this is early on in, in that letter. Um, so this is kind of way before that. And he does this introduction in chapter one, but then gets into this idea of wisdom and kind of defining what wisdom is and his definition, similar like with the love definition in chapter 13, it's kind of like more like what wisdom is not. Like it's he's talking about how it's not of the world. It is, it's of God, it's a different, and he kind of gets into this paradox of, you know, that that weakness is strength. He kind of introduces that concept. He doesn't get too much into it here, but he's introducing and kind of laying the foundations of what I think is very Pauline to come, you know, all of these concepts of like, of wisdom and um, strength and weakness. He's always so humble, um, you know, at the beginning there. Um, anyways, so yeah, there's so much we could talk about here. So my first get- question is always, why did you pick this? So why why this chapter? Well, so I picked this because the first thing, well, there's a few reasons. I said there was three. The first one is, I love this first line in uh, the first like four verses where he says, when I came to you, I came to you not with words of wisdom, but rather with the power of the Holy Spirit, except with Jesus Christ in him crucified. So for me, as someone who taught for years and was involved in catechesis and was, was teaching students often kind of minutia about the faith. Mm -hmm. I, you know, in retrospect, I realized that I, I realized that there's ultimately what we're trying to do is not just educate with knowledge, right? We're trying to build skills for discipleship. We're trying to equip students with tools that they can have in their tool belt. I would often talk about like Batman and his utility belt. You know, we're trying to equip <laughs> you with the things that you can take out into the world and use. And will help you with the with the life of discipleship. And I think that there's something key here for those of us who are involved in the work of evangelization and making disciples, which is really all of us, but specifically those of us like you and me who are involved in education and ministry is it's so easy because we're excited about the head knowledge, right? We're excited about, ooh, mm-hmm. you know, this doctrine and that thing. We're excited what we just learned about Catholic social teaching or anthropology and any of the, you know, we're, we're kind of mm-hmm. nerds for that stuff. That's why we studied it. Mm-hmm. But what is essential, you know, you don't, you don't need to have a theology degree to be a saint. There's plenty of peasants in the fields that are holier than theologians. Mm-hmm. What we really need, the core of the gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I came across this verse one time. I think I was I was leading a Kairos retreat at the time, and it just struck me to the heart that maybe I'm doing a lot of my ministry the wrong way. Maybe I'm focusing too much on the head and not enough on the heart, and too much on the knowledge and not enough on like what are the what are the lived skills? What are the what are the the virtues and vices and what are the experiences that we need to have? How can we gain that mind of Christ, as it says in the, the last verse mm-hmm. of, of the chapter? And so much of Christianity is not it, it's not like knowing all the right doctrines. It's developing this mind of Christ. It's being, as St. Paul says here, a, a spiritual person, no longer just a natural person, but a supernatural person who the, the Holy Spirit just overflows within. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, St. Uh, Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, she had a prayer that I came across in high school and it's always been special to me where she says, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically it's like, Lord, when people see me, may they see not just me, but you. May they really like, may I just be kind of a lens through which they can mm-hmm. see or a mirror in which they can see 
Christ. And I, I feel like that's a lot of what Paul is talking about here. He's like, look, you know, he's, he's talking to the Corinthians who are Greeks. They're, they know their philosophy, mm-hmm. right? They're, mm-hmm. they're known for their philosophy the world over, even 2,000 years later. And he says, you know, what I came to you with was not like Socrates or Plato or Aristotle. I came to you with this story of this guy named Jesus, mm-hmm. who is God's anointed, and they crucified him and he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And he is he is God incarnate, and there's there's a power there that goes beyond mere wisdom and mere learning. Um, so I, I've, it's often been a source of prayer and just thought for me. What is this demonstration of spirit and power? How do I how do I proclaim Christ crucified and not just away and not not that all those doctrines, not that all the head stuff isn't important, but mm-hmm. how do I? by my life and by what Jesus has done and is doing in my life, how do I demonstrate that spirit and power so that these children's faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God, as it says in verse four. And that is just like something that I I don't want to say it haunts me because that has kind of a negative connotation, Mm -hmm. but it's something that is always in the back of my mind is, is how do I make that demonstration of power and spirit? Um, yeah, I think that's so. great. I I can totally relate to that. I I often I just was saying to a guest um, a little bit earlier that I do find that I I get academic obviously since I am a teacher and I one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast and continue to do the podcast is because I do find people bring so many different perspectives and it does give me that spiritual nourishment since I am looking at scripture all day pretty just kind of like like you, analytically, like you were describing with the students, it's nice to be reminded of how what other people get from scripture, because it's not just for our, for our minds, but also for our heart. And I like how you pointed out too, that he's going to a Greek community. I love the line. It's um, verse three, like he comes, he's like, I come to you with fear and trembling. I love his like honesty and his humility there. I wonder kind of what was going through his mind, but I can imagine that because like what you said, you know, they are, they're, they're from a completely different background, philosophers. He was Jewish, you know, coming at things from a different angle. I don't know that that would have been maybe a little intimidating for him is, is cute to me or like interesting to me. And then um, I want to talk about, I mean, so much here, the theme is, you know, wisdom from above and not of this age. Like you said, the spiritual, not yeah. the natural. Mm-hmm. And I love what you, well, I was just going to say that, that line. The line, the line that I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling is, again, something that we did a lot and we do a lot in campus ministry and youth ministry is testimonies, right? Testimonies mm-hmm. of, of teachers and adults and of youth. And I think those can be done poorly and I think those can be done really well. But I think there is a, a key here that Paul is latching onto is that there's a power in sharing people's story, both for the person sharing it and for the person hearing it. Now, it needs, I think it needs to be contextualized and, and it, I don't think it's right to just put a kid uh, you know, up at a podium right. and have them tell their deepest, darkest secrets. I think, I think that can be done really poorly, but I think if a kid is, is and a student, I should say, a young person, is able to be coached prayerfully and brought to a place of reflection where they can, they can see their story in terms of salvation history, when they can see where they fit in their struggles and their failings, when they can see that in the timeline of God, and then they're able to express that, that is transformative for them and is transformative for their peers in a way that my testimony will never be because mm-hmm. I'm an old man, right? Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> that we proclaim our weakness, like absolutely we proclaim our weakness. Like I, I, 
uh, you know, I didn't come from a good family. I, 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 I struggled with this. I didn't make the best decisions. You know, whatever the, the young person's story is, it's not just about getting up there and, and sharing their deepest, darkest secrets. It's about sharing. This is what God has done in my life. And these are the mountains that he's helped me to move through. Um, and right. that's, that's a, a proclamation of my weakness where God is glorified. So. No, I think that's really well said. When we were on, when I was on net, we were taught that our testimony, testimony, it wasn't supposed to be obviously about us. Like we could talk about the things that God did, but it, it always had to point back to, towards him. We shouldn't glorify like our struggles or glorify what we did, but glorify like, you know, I could say that I overcame this because of him, because of how, you know, how he helped me to overcome it. But I think that's a good point. Um, what I was going to say about like the the academic piece, just kind of the one last thing. I'm also struck by the line about, I think it's line seven, verse seven, that God's wisdom is mysterious and hidden. And, you know, we were just talking about how we want to explain things with doctrines. We want to explain things and teach. And there there is wisdom in that. But we have to, I have to remind myself, I should say, <laughs> that um, so much is still mystery you know like we can't explain everything here and now you know there, there's we, we don't know everything right now that there's an element of mystery to our faith and i think a lot of us need to be reminded of that that mystery because it's what makes it beautiful you know oh absolutely and and something that i would often say to my students and and when i say it to my students i would have to remind myself of this is a mystery isn't something that can't be figured out it's a mystery is something that like the answers keep coming. Like it's deeper than mm-hmm. just like, it's not that you never get an answer. It's that like the answer is kind of more complex. The answer is more than, more than just one thing. And you'll never plumb the depths of it. We say like, you know, the mystery of faith, um, by your cross and resurrection, you have redeemed the world, whichever one of the, uh, yeah. more acclamations <laughs> your church uses. It's, it's about the Paschal mystery. Jesus is uh, death and resurrection. And that's not a mystery in the sense that we don't know if it happened or not. It's not a mystery in the sense that we don't know that it was that Jesus really accomplished something and the, the cross really did something for our salvation. It's mystery, mysterious in that there will always be more to explore there. There will always be more to learn there. Um, and it's, you know, there, there's lots of mysteries of the faith that just, they go beyond our intellect to understand. And so right. we can keep coming back to them because God is infinite. So um, yeah, I love that line. I just, yeah, I love, I love that idea of it still kind of being hidden, you know, that there's, because I think just in our culture, we want everything to be revealed. We want explanations for everything, but there is something, be- you know, beautiful and something still kind of being hidden. And I like that idea of God, maybe we don't want him to hide himself all the time, but you know, there's some, there's something beautiful in that, like waiting to have something be revealed too as well. And there's a danger in feeling like we got it all figured out. Like, oh, that Bible verse about the, the you know, the, the camel going through the eye of a needle and it's easier for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle than for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Like, oh, I know what that means. Like, like, no, you, you probably don't know exactly what that means. And that should challenge right. you. Like Jesus's parables. Like if you feel like you know exactly what his parable means, like, yep maybe go back and look at that again. And that's why we call the scriptures the living word of God is each time we read them in a, in a new place in life with a, a new group of people, God can speak to us in new ways. And so I think it's it's a constant challenge for us as believers to, to not be thinking like, oh, yep, I know what that means. I know what that doctrine's about. You know, I, I understand incarnation and the Trinity. And um, I think that's a real danger to think that we have it all wrapped up in a nice little box. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard. I mean, because I, I mean, you know, like you and I, we've talked about these scripture passages probably so many times, you know, in, in our lives. But um, but yet we're still 
we're still we're still learning, we're still unfolding. I'm still on a podcast trying to talk about them, you know, in different ways with different people. So um, yes. there is always wisdom in that. I just want to talk about the line verse nine because I feel like that idea of mystery goes into verse nine, and it's a very famous one for us, <laughs> I think, Catholics, because especially those of us in music ministry, right? Like there's that song, mm. "The eye is not seen, ear is not heard, what God has ready." for those who love him. What does this verse kind of mean for you? Is is this one that kind of strikes you as well? Yeah. Well, I think it, yeah. I mean, it, I think both because I'm a musician and also just having read it, um, it, it kind of <laughs> p- pierces my heart in, in a certain way. It just kind of, it's filled with hope for me that like, whatever you think God has in store for you, you know, in, in, even in this life, but especially in, you know, the next life, like you've, it hasn't even entered the human heart. It like nobody's heard it, nobody's seen it. Like just wait until you see what God has ready. Like it's gonna blow your mind. <laughs> and so I, I think it's this this message of great hope. Uh, you know, in this life too. Um, not that God always promises us rainbows and butterflies and that everything's gonna be peachy keen, but he does promise that he's going to be with us. And and he, he does promise, uh, you know, a certain amount of, um, consolation and, and help. And he does say, um, there's that, that one passage, uh, I forget exactly where it is in the gospel, but his disciples are asking him, Lord, what will we get when I think, I think that's that same place with the story of the rich young man. And he it's the eye of the camel thing. And he says, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to get through mm-hmm. the eye of the needle. Right after that, the disciples ask him, I think it's Peter says, well, what will we get when we, you know, what, what about us, mm-hmm. you know? And he says, there's no one who has given up lands or, or, or wives or family who will not receive many times more in this age and even more in the, in the age to come. Um, but also in this age, but then he throws in with persecutions. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he's not saying everything's going to be fine here. He's like, yes, there's going to be persecutions. Yes, there's going to be trouble. But even in this life, there is a certain amount of hope. Like the kingdoms come to earth. It's not just you know, the, the, the hope of a Christian is not just for one day when, you know, I, I leave this, this world and go somewhere else. Like there is real hope for the here and now there is real healing for the, you know, the here and now. And so this verse fills me just with awe and hope mm-hmm. that things can get better. Um, you know, if we hand them over to the Lord, like there is real change that can happen in us and also in our world. And then one day we won't have to worry about any of this crap. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're going to be in in his arms. So um, yeah, that that's hugely consoling for me. And I think it's from Isaiah, but I'm not sure off the top of my head what he's quoting here. The eye is not seen, ear is not heard. I'm pretty sure it's from Isaiah, but I'm not sure. Let's look at the footnotes. There Um, you go. I don't know if it says mine doesn't. I mean, that would make sense. I'm pretty sure it's from somewhere. Oh, it makes sense. I was just chatting with another guest about a psalm, and it was a very short line, um, but it was the idea, it was about like delighting in the Lord and that he will give you all the desires of your heart. We kind of talked about that doesn't mean that just like, you know, he's going to give you whatever you want. And the whole theme of the passage was kind of like, you know, why do the wicked get everything? It seems like, and then we have to wait, the just have to wait for our reward kind of was where yes. we were talking. And like, and I think that kind of is where what you were saying as well, like this, this hope of things to come, maybe things that we can't see right now. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to like see other things that are happening and you're like, well, cool. I get to wait. You know, I don't know if you wanted yeah. to speak to that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, so I, I did find where it is. It is in Isaiah chapter 64, verse four. Uh, would that you might meet us doing right, that we might be mindful of you in, I'm sorry, verse three, while you worked awesome deeds, we could not hope for such as had not been heard of from old, no ear 
has ever heard, mm. nor I ever seen any God but you working such deeds for those who wait for him. Nice. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that is from Isaiah 64. Remind me your question again. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's OK. I know we're, we're both like uh, like just the idea of like you were speaking of how it gives you hope of things to come. And I was saying that another guest and I were talking about like that's hard because you see so many people getting rewarded now, you know, to tell someone Paul's kind of like trying to persuade these the Greeks and he's, you know, not persuading them with like concrete things. It's like, oh, these things to come. And oh, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just it's hard. Like what? I don't know. What do you say to someone who's like, oh, the reward is later. It's cool. Yeah, so so it's you almost know? like the, pro- the the prosperity gospel in some evangelical circles. Um, where, you know, people like Joel Osteen, he's not even the worst offender, but there are some in like Protestant, um, evangelical circles, some preachers who would say like, oh, if you give God your money, Mm -hmm. meaning if you give my church, if you give me your money, like God's going to reward you. It's the best investment you can ever make. And God wants to make Mm -hmm. you rich. Like, and it's, it's really super sketchy and and manipulative, um, Mm -hmm. kind of promising that in the, in the, the here and now. Um, but we in the Catholic world are not exempt from that either. And the place that I've seen it sometimes is when it comes to, uh, sometimes chastity talks is mm-hmm. there's this kind of sexual prosperity gospel where it's like, if you do the right things, X, Y, and Z, you've saved sex from marriage, you know, and, and follow, follow these rules, then your marriage is going to be great mm-hmm. and wonderful. And I, you know, I absolutely 100% believe, I think if you, um, you know, don't have s- sex until you're married, that's going to, that's going to help your marriage, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, right? There's a right. lot more that goes into a good marriage. That's that's. I think that is removing an obstacle that can make marriage harder. You know, if you come into marriage with these, these baggage from previous sexual relationships, yeah, that's going to make things harder. Um, but one, it doesn't guarantee, you know, just because you're a virgin doesn't mean you're a, a virtuous person, right? And two, mm-hmm. just because you've made some mistakes doesn't mean you're like ruined and done forever. Like some of the holiest people I know and some of the holiest saints were people that made big mistakes sexually. So, um, but we can't, we do kind of have a version of that in Catholicism with, um, mm-hmm. You know, or I even agree. liturgically, if you if you follow this devotion, if you really prayed the rosary, if you know, if you did the right novena, then you will get X Y Z from God. So there are little versions of that in in Catholicism, and I think it, this is just kind of me shooting from the hip here, but I feel like for Paul and his what what really transformed people and what really transformed people's lives was the power of the community. That's mm-hmm. where so many women who felt downtrodden in the Roman Greco-Roman world. That's where people who were slaves, people who were outcasts, people who were diseased, they came to the Christian communities and they found belonging. And that was so powerful. And when Jesus is talking about, you know, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, he's saying, it shall not be so among you. This is how it's going to be. This, you know, you're going to live this sermon on the Mount Ask and you shall, you know, um, you know, somebody, somebody who asks of you, give to them, you know, feel, forgive them 77 times these really high moral standards that kind of crazy, like the product, the story of the prodigal son and the the father forgives him for all these atrocious things he's done and still welcomes him back. Like that was the sort of thing that was happening in these early Christian communities. And Paul was teaching people to do, and it, that's what conquered the Roman empire. And I, I feel like that is where it's it's in the holy christian community where we can do reconciliation where we can do mercy where we can do accompaniment and compassion that's where we begin to see 
the goodness of the Lord in the here and now. That's where we start to see the kingdom come to earth as it already is in heaven, a kind of foretaste mm. of what's going to come. And even in marriage, like when a husband and wife can be Sermon on the Mount, beatitude type husbands and wives towards each other. And I know you you did an episode on Ephesians 5, which I think is describing that same sort of thing. Like that's where marriage is transformed, whether you're a virgin or not <laughs> going into mm-hmm. it. Like that is what is going to make your marriage a foretaste of what's to come. So I feel like in the Christian community, it, we're, if, we're, if we're able to live out these things, even in an imperfect way, it's going to give us that glimpse. Okay. That's exactly what I wanted to hear because I I was just trying to grapple with, you know, what she and I had been talking about and just like, it's kind of a tough sell when you're saying like, well, you'll be rewarded later. But I I like what you were saying, but we can get a foretaste here and now, certainly with the sacraments um, through community and especially that communal piece. We are all long, longing for it always, but especially I feel like in 2020 and 2021, we've been so isolated. Um, that communal piece is certainly something that we I think we miss and sometimes we take for granted and we forget that it can be so life-giving and God-giving and godly. Anyways, we've kind of gone all over the place with this this passage. Um, what were some other things you wanted to hit from this from this passage? So I wanted to kind of share uh, something that came to me in prayer while I was praying with this passage. It, and it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but you you know I'm kind of weird, so I hope hopefully it'll be okay. <laughs> but I got this image of an ice pack. And an ice pack is what is an ice pack for? It's for keeping things cold. You're supposed to take it out in the world. And you can you can you take it out of the freezer and out into the world, and you can use it to keep food cold. You can use it to ice somebody that's hurt. But if the ice pack stays out in the world too long, it gets warm, right? It adapts to what's in the world, and it no longer can serve its purpose. Okay, so it has to go back in the freezer for a bit. But its job is not to stay in the freezer. Its job is to go out into the world. And there's this this phrase that's been in songs and is often in preaching, but isn't actually found in the Bible that we are called to be in the world, but not of the world, which I think you might have mentioned that before, Mm -hmm. um, in the world, but not of the world. So that idea comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we're talking about right here, um, that we should be out in the world doing doing ministry, evangelizing, but we're called to live differently. And I feel like this this is a tension for every Christian. And we, we see Jesus, even Jesus gets um, accused by the Pharisees of spending too much time with the sinners and the tax collectors. But then you see Jesus going back to prayer, going up on the mountain to pray. You see him um, going off by himself to pray, spending intentional time just with his disciples. So much of his time was just with this group of this, the, the disciples, um, even, even the 12, and sometimes even just like Peter, James, and John he was going back into the freezer, right? And I feel like we as Christians, we were kind of talking about the CUA bubble before the Catholic U bubble. Um, there's there's a place for the bubble, right? The bubble serves a purpose of formation, of identity. It reminds you of who you are and it strengthens you. And so like the sacraments, scripture, all of those things, the and especially the the community, doing those in a loving community that might not be perfect, but is trying, those are refreezing us, right? And those are re-equipping us for the mission. But then we can't just stay there, right? We're not called to just like live locked away. Maybe maybe some people that's a special vocation for them to to live a cloistered life or something like that. But all of us at some level are called to go out 
and minister. The ice pack isn't doing the ice pack's job if it just stays in the freezer all the time. We're meant to be called out into the world, but the ice pack can't do its job if it stays out in the world and takes on the qualities of the world. It needs to go back in the freezer and remember what it's for. And I feel like we're we're the same way. Um, so anyway, that that was a weird image that came to me in prayer one time with this passage. No, I think that's uh, that's a, that's so teacher of you. I feel like that's a really good analogy. Like I can see students understanding that concept, and I think that that does give us all a, an understanding of what Paul is saying here. And yeah, and I think that's a great analogy, and it's a good reminder for us. Like you mentioned, Jesus had to do it. He had to remove himself from the crowds and go and pray and get that restorative piece so that he could go back out into the world. And so I think that makes sense for us too that we need to go back in, recharge, be with our communities, be with. We, we with God in prayer so that we can go out and be nourished and uh, and serve. And I think this is great. I Yeah, there's so much more we could say. Um, is there any like final thoughts you wanted to say before we wrap up? I just want to go back to that, th- how the chapter ends. For who okay. has known the mind of the Lord so as to counsel him, but we have the mind of Christ. And just that idea that we're, we're all called to be like little Christs. And so by having healthy Christian community, being involved in the church, the sacraments, the scriptures, even, even serving the poor, we encounter Christ there. All of those are ways that we take on the mind of Christ and it helps us to go out in the world and, and be that light to people around us. And so we talk a lot in, in 21st century, 2021, when we spent our last two years watching Netflix because we couldn't go outside or be with people. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time talking about the influence of social media, the influence of a Netflix generation, and just how that media influences us because it's flowing into our brains by, by the hours each day. We also need to be marinating in Christ, and we need to create some space for to develop that mind of Christ and not just the mind of whatever happens to be on Netflix or what happens to be on my Instagram feed or on TikTok or, or Snapchat or whatever. And I mean, you and I are both on, on TikTok and <laughs> Instagram. Like it's, we're not, I'm not <laughs> saying it's amount. evil, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it's evil, but if we're not creating that space, how do we expect to have the mind of Christ if we're not making time to let that be our, our media, media meeting being like the way that a message gets to us, right? Rather than getting it, to us through our phone or, or through a screen, like get it through the sacraments, get it. Th- there's lots of media that God has too, um, to, to communicate his word and his love to us. The, the media, the medium of silence, the media, uh, medium of healthy community, uh, scripture, all, all of those are ways that we develop the mind of Christ. Amen. I think that's very well said. It's, it's, you know, again, easier said than done. It's, it's tough. Our lives oh, yeah. are so busy, but I agree. Like I, I mean, I personally, I need to start with prayer in the morning. I need to do stuff like this with my friends and talk about scripture so that I can get recharged. And then I can go on Instagram and post about it or I can, yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I know that you have a ton of projects that are going on. So where can we find you? What would you like us to check out? Yeah. So popculturecatechism.com is where you'll find more about our show and where our show is about finding God in the music and the movies that you love. So then when you do unplug, you can go live that love in the world. It's trying trying to kind of, kind of mix the two. <laughs> We're watching all this stuff and looking at all this stuff and listening to all, all this stuff from social media. How can we find God in it and judge with the mind of Christ and not just the mind of the world? So we talk about 
Billie Eilish and Britney Spears and Cardi B. And we've done three Taylor Swift episodes at this point. <laughs> we talk about the MCU and Star Wars and Harry Potter and all, all, all the nerdy things. So it's it's a lot of fun. Um, so popculturecatechism.com. And if you want to find more about me as a speaker and a worship leader, then go to MikeTennyMusic.com. And that has links to all my social media and all that stuff. I love it. I mean, you know, I'm a pop culture nerd too. And when I was with the Daughters of St. Paul, that's kind of what we did. Like when I was a postulant, we had like movie nights and then we would watch the movie with invite people to watch like Spider-Man or something like that. And then we would have a discussion afterwards with like the Christian themes in the movie. And so, I mean, I've, I'm totally on board with what you're, what you're doing. I think it's great. I think it's what I think Paul would do. You know, I think it's very Paul. Amen. Um, and you all can find me on Instagram at seven mile chats, all spelled out. I would love for you to um, reach out to me if you want to be a guest, like, follow, subscribe. And I'm also on Twitter where I kind of tweet about things I'm doing in my classroom at Miss Ruckley one, M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y one. Again, shout out, follow, like, reach out to me. And uh, thank you so much, Mike, for for chatting with me. I always enjoy talking to you. It's good to talk to you, too. Thanks for having me back. Bye, everyone.